Uh, Turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 9. One of the problems of life, one of them, there's many of them. How many of you got some problems of life? Uh, Don't point to them either. Um, uh, Is that life is not like video games. One of the great things about video games, in my day, in my day, we used to go to the lily pad in Goleta, uh, which was, I don't know what it was other than it had video games and you, you paid quarters and stuff like that. And I wasn't very good at video games. And so I blew through my quarters pretty quickly. And part of the problem of today with video games is there is no cost to losing. Losing. There is no limit to the losses that you can take. Um, it's only a limit of electricity uh, that you can burn through uh, that you would do that. And the problem with that is that life is not like that, is it? You know, especially when you think there was this one game that I, I like to play. It was a, a, it was a game like it was a driving game. And uh, you, when you crashed your car, you know what happened? A new one just kind of popped up and stuff like that. Uh, that doesn't happen. I want to tell you, uh, if you hit a deer, it's not just going to happen. You're going to have to go into town and wait months before they figure out all the parts and so on and so forth. That life is not like that. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at something today. We've been looking at it the last couple of weeks, something that's very difficult to get into. And so as I think about this, we're diving into the deep end. Uh, So plug your nose and shut your mouth and go. We're going to go into the deep end. Romans chapter 9. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you uh, this morning from verse 19 onward. And we're, Lord willing, we're going to get to the end uh, today. I realize that sounds like a lot, and it is. So here we go. Verse 19. You will say uh, to me then, why does he still find fault? Uh, For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Uh, Will what is molded say to the molder, uh, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay uh, to make out uh, of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath, And to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order that uh, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us uh, whom he has called not uh, from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, uh, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, uh, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out uh, concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, Only a remnant of them will be saved, uh, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we would be like Sodom and, and become like Gomorrah. 
Uh, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did, did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is the righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued the law, per, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Uh, because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And God, we ask your blessing on your word and that we would be hearers that are changed in our our person uh, that we would think more like you and that you would be the one that uh, we worship and obey. Um, God, we thank you for your kindness to us, your mercy that you showed us even in this passage. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think so much of uh, uh, when we talk about theology, it turns into coffee shop banter, you know, uh, with people with nothing better to do uh, than drink coffee and tea, high dollar coffee and tea, and uh, argue about things that they don't know much about uh, and see themselves as over God, uh, God trying to somehow impress them or, and them decide who God can and can't be. If you were here last week, we looked at uh, really four people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And then uh, we looked also at Pharaoh, and we saw that in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not because of their worth and not because of something they did as an adult, but God chose them, uh, chose to make them great, chose to do something in their life. And then we see also in Pharaoh that uh, God chose to make him uh, an example of something by the hardening of his heart. Uh, over rejection of what Pharaoh had done. And we see God last week to be just, just, merciful, and compassionate. Um, And as we really, there's really two just and uh, merciful, and you see the compassion flowing out of that mercy that he has for his people. And in the book of uh, Romans, Uh, We see the book of Romans as being a book of man's need to be right with God. Man's need to be right with God. And I want to say it the opposite way and, and, and just acknowledge that it's not about God's need to be right with man. Right? Uh, God doesn't need man like he's not on the edge of his seat saying, what am I going to do without Kevin? You know, I, I think so often we think of ourselves as some kind of prize, uh, either individually or collectively, uh, that we forget that God is not in need of us, but we are in need of him. And so as we look at the book of Romans, it's all about us being right with God, God's righteousness being attaining that, us not being able to attain that because we're unrighteous, so our need for justification being made right with God, which brings us uh, to this morning, uh, really the role and the knowledge of God in salvation. Um, And so we start in verse 19, the potter and the clay. And 
Obviously, this is inspired. This is the word of God. We look in the Old Testament. This same picture is used three or four different times, this idea of the potter and the clay. And what a great picture to think about uh, as God would be in charge of the lump of clay and that we would be the lump of clay. And what a great thing to acknowledge over and over again that, God, you're the potter. I'm the clay. Help me be what you want me to be. Okay, but as we look at this, uh, this connects to what we looked at last week. Verse 19, you will say to me then, and, and there's this idea in the, the book of Romans. He uses it over and over again. There's this questioning, this unknown questioner. And, and most likely it's just that idea that this is what a skeptic would say. This is would, would be like the... Um, the critic of what Paul is sharing, this is the argument that he would come up with. And, and as he looked at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, uh, verse 19 connects directly to that. It would say, you will say to me then about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, why does he, God, still then find fault? fault for who can resist his will? And he, his picture is this, that uh, what do you do if God is doing a work of hardening? How can you resist his hardening? Um, and as we look at that, there's plenty of thoughts that we can go to and connections that we can make. But as you look to the word of God, it doesn't say that. It just says, verse 19, uh, the questions are there. Verse 20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And I want to let that sit with you for a moment and just think about that. Think about your own heart and uh, the way you talk to God, uh, the way you question him and the way you look at the world and how you, you might say, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. And that's really the accusation of the question, you know, who can resist his will? So, so why would you hold him accountable uh, if he resists your will, if he's been hardened in his heart? And the, the answer is not, let me give you an answer for that. The answer is, who are you to question God? And that, that's a good starting place for all of us here. Um, I think all of us have questions about why God does the way he does, right? Why does he do things? Why have they been made this way? Why I don't understand. Uh, I look at events in my life or events in the world and we say, why? I don't understand. And some of that is just the crying of a child not knowing, right? I don't get it. There's a frustration of life, and I think that God's patient with that. But as we look at this idea that we are somehow on the same level as God, philosophically, and that he somehow, maybe even we see ourselves above him, above him, and we say, God, you need to explain this to me before we go any further, <laughs> right? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying no to you. I'm just saying Explain to me where we're going. Explain to me how this is all going to work out. And if you s explain sufficiently, we're good. And if not, I'll ask another question and you need to answer me. I struggled, but we're going to struggle for time today. But if you look back in the story of Job, 
there was a similar thing. He went through many, many uh, days of struggle and, and he cried out to God and there was an answer similar to this. Who are you? Who are you uh, to a- ask me these questions? And why is it uh, that it's not legitimate for us to question in an authoritative sort of way? You need to answer me. Uh, how, how, why is it not appropriate for us to do this? Well, it, he goes on in verse 20 to say, Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right, potter have no right over the clay? And I think that that's super important for us to to ask the question. Is that when it comes to your life, how you were made, the events, the place and time, the struggles and trials that you might go through, has God no right to decide what those are going to be? Does he have no right? And, and you say, well, no, he doesn't because it's my life. My life. You know, you feel like the teenager, right? You're 13 and you look back to your mom and dad and you say, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. Could you take me to Walmart? <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but I, I would even say the example is ridiculous. <laughs> that the clay, the lump of clay, or the pot that has been made, look back to the one who made it and say, why did you make me like this? Why did you put me in this situation? Why do you get to decide what I'm going to be and what I'm not going to be? And the answer is because he is the potter. He is the potter. I, I'm just going to say this, this, the whole potter and clay, and then I think the verses following will describe in a greater way how he works this out in real life and people and uh, us here today. But I, I want to just ask you the question, the potter's rights or the clay's rights? Who has the right to decide what's going on? I, I think about our world today and uh, we, we want to know people's opinions, right? How, how are you voting this week? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What about this issue of our day? And, and who do we look to? Who do we look to? Uh, we look to authorities, right? I always think it's funny when you see an advertisement uh, that has um, uh, someone dressed up like a nurse or a doctor and uh, they're telling you what to, to think. And there's a, a mind game being played there. I remember, uh, you know, I, I lived next to this woman who was a, trying to be actress. And uh, I remember seeing her in a commercial. And uh, she didn't really have a job. Like she was eking, it, eking out life, trying to things together. And, and in this commercial, she was a nurse. And I thought, no, she's not. She lives right next door to me, right? <laughs> like, I think she waitresses down at that restaurant right over there. Like, like she, her opinion in this advertisement means nothing. But, but I asked this, 
What if they are a real nurse or a doctor? What if they're a politician? What if they're a lawyer or an actress? What if they're a so-called smart person, right? Someone who we feel like is articulate and they they use big words and they, they lecture in great halls and colleges. Does their opinion, uh, does their um, way of sorting out life, is it helpful? I, I listen to this and I, I, I see comedians saying things and celebrities and scientists and politicians and athletes and philosophers. And all these people are, are giving their input on how we should think about life, just a common person. And the one thing that most of them forget is they are created by God, created by God. And the the idea, you know, they might look more beautiful and they might be more accomplished than than us. They might be able to use bigger words and understand uh, more complex uh, ideas. But if they have not identified the creator as the one over them and, and have not identified the creator as also the judge of them. They've missed out on this uh, very important uh, concept in the Bible of the potter and the clay. Where am I? I'm the clay and he is the potter. And so as we look at this, we, we ask the question, and the potter and the clay, who is in charge? Who is in charge? And I want to tell you, it's not the clay. It's not the pot. It's not, it's not anything other than the potter. Which brings us to verse 21 in the middle. Uh, you, you see two vessels. You see two vessels. In, in verse 21, it says this. Has not the, the potter uh, no right over the clay? To make out of the same lump... One vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. He, he separates uh, this lump of clay, a larger lump, and the idea of saying, I'm going to do this with this and I'm going to do this with this. One for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use. We, we move on and he describes more. Uh, in verse 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? We'll stop there. As you look at this, you, you realize that uh, he, he takes one of these vessels and he says, what if uh, that God, in his desire for these vessels, he desires to show his wrath and make it known his power. And you say, well, why would God want to display his anger? Display his anger. And what if God never displayed his anger? What if he never displayed his anger? Um, you think about that and you think about your parents. Did you know what they liked and disliked? How did you know? How did you know when you had crossed the line? How did you know what got them animated? Some of you are having flashbacks right now, PTSD. Uh, 
You realize that because it, they understand. And, it, and the point of anger, I want to say anger of man's not the same as anger of God. It's not the same, right? Uh, even in uh, his wrath or his anger, his, he is righteous. We are not. But the idea here is that God's desire was not just to show his love and his kindness, but also as part of his attributes in justice, in righteousness, to show that which deserves anger and his power behind that, his power behind that. This is uh, his desire, verse 22. This is one of the reasons of having those vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Verse 23, the other side. And he connects these, he says, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, uh, which he prepared beforehand for glory. We're going to come back to this. We're going to touch on this a couple of different times. But there's vessels for wrath and vessels for mercy, okay? Um, why, I, I want you to think in your mind right now, if, if there are vessels for wrath, why is there wrath? Why do they receive wrath? Well, because of their sins, right? Just as Pharaoh did, why did he receive wrath? Because of the things that he did. Uh, there was a hardening of his heart and Pharaoh participated in that. And so he received what he deserved. In the second group, the vessels of mercy how come it does not say the vessels of justice? Think about that. Um, if, there, if there's vessels for mercy or vessels for wrath, deserving of wrath, what should these other ones be? In, in our minds, we say, well, the good ones, right? The good ones that, that didn't deserve it, didn't deserve it. They got the good stuff. That, that's in our mind, the, the good side and the bad side. But I want to give to you, and I think it will be clearer in the, the verses after this. He brings it out. He, he desires not to make, in the, in the vessels of wrath, he desires to show what? His wrath and his power. In verse 23, what does he want to make known? His riches of his mercy right? The riches of his mercy. And I always like when he says riches, like there's other places in scripture that use this magnifying uh, type uh, thing. It's not just that God is merciful, but that he is rich in mercy. That he's so kind when he lavishes on us. And, and the second group, what do they deserve? What do they deserve? The same as the first group, right? These vessels are the same in that they deserve not his mercy, but his justice. And what uh, does a life apart from Jesus deserve? Wrath, right? And that exploding on us in all his power. It says this in verse 23, if you look down at it, uh, in order to make known the riches of, uh, of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared when? Beforehand 
for glory, right? We looked at this the last couple of weeks, this idea that when did all this happen? When did, uh, when did this get decided in the mind of God? And this is hard for us to get, but it's before, it's before, it's before birth. It, you know, it even says before the foundation of the earth in Ephesians. You, you look at this and you get this picture that this is in the mind of God, the mind of God. And I just want to highlight once again, if one does not receive mercy when they're guilty, what do they receive? It's justice, right? It's justice. Um, and, and they should get it, right? This is justice, right? And so he, he shares with us out, out of all this, this one lump of clay, that all people are deserving the wages of sin. This is from the uh, book of Romans, right? We know about the wages of sin. Uh, what happens in the wages of sin? Death. But in this passage, it says there are two vessels. One receive his wrath. The other is shown mercy. But none deserve mercy, okay? None deserve mercy. So there are two vessels, which brings us to verse 24, you have two peoples. And, and I want you to get this. There's this uh, picture of the potter and the clay. Now he takes these two lumps of clay and he shows that there's two vessels. And now he's going to talk about two peoples, okay? The Jews and the Gentiles. And, and as you think about this, this is about the Jews and the Gentiles, but it's about individuals as well, right? This idea of where do you stand with God? Verse 24, two peoples. Uh, Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And as he makes this transition to talk about specific people groups or nations or belief systems, uh, he says this. He uses this word called. We looked at this before, but this is one of Paul's great things that that God calls out and brings people to salvation. It's an effectual call, meaning that it's one that is uh, effective. It it calls, as people hear it, they respond. They respond. And he says, out of Jews, but not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And as he goes, I think he's going to give two examples. The first of the Gentiles, the second of the Jews. Verse 25. As indeed he says in the book of Hosea, in, in Hosea, and now he's going to quote a, a couple of passages and summarize some things. But this is what he says. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who has not was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there uh, they will be called sons of the living God. You look at this and you realize that he points back to the book of Hosea. I want you to think Bible scholars of Bear Valley Church, Bible scholars of Bear Valley Church, the book of Hosea, what is the book of Hosea? I want to tell you, I want to say it plainly, it's the book of the dirty wife. The adulterous wife. 
And you look at a bad marriage and you look at kids and the, the, the frustration of divorce and like what happens now. And it, it seems like uh, Hosea has this wife, this dirty wife, and it's justified in his mind that he should get rid of her. He should get rid of her because of her unfaithfulness. And, and I want to tell you that, that there's some logic to... Uh, if you're not a good wife, if you're not a good husband, get rid of them. There's some logic to that. But God tells something specific to Hosea that's amazing. And he says, I I want you to be an example of my love for my people. And as he uses it for the Jews in this passage, I believe it's used for the Gentiles. He says this, he, he, he says about them, he says, uh, you know, Hosea, do you remember the story of Hosea? He was not a loved wife. It was not one that there was this beautiful marriage. It was a difficult marriage because of her. It was a difficult marriage. But God says, uh, you, you Gentiles, as if indeed uh, connecting it to Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. Those who are outside of my love, you're not loved by me. I will bring you in and make you loved by me. Let that sit with you. If you've trusted in Christ, if you're a Gentile, you you don't have the promises of the Jews. If God has brought you in, it is not because you were lovely. It was because of his love for you in your sinfulness, in your sinfulness. It's overwhelming. And he says, you know, uh, you are not my loved one, but I have called you my loved one. And uh, very much similar to Galatians, uh, Paul says, as he looks upon, uh, he's connecting these dots of Hosea to the Gentiles, He says, uh, verse 26, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. And you say, why is that so great? I want to tell you why it's great. Because the picture is that of inheritance. Of not just being a slave in my household, but being a son in my family. And not just being, you know, the, the stepchild that has to do the dishes or, or uh, clean the barn. But the idea of being a son of the living God, the one true God. Now the sons, th- this picture here is this. One of full place, full position, and full inheritance. All the riches of God are now ours. And Why? Because we were worthy? No, because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. So you have two people, and that was the first one. Uh, The second one, as you look down at it, verse 27, as Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, um, now he turns from the Gentiles to Israel, the Jews. uh, Verse 27 Uh, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. 
This is the hard part for us to understand. It, it's very, um, not very precise in our minds. We can't see it clearly. It's not black and white. It is to God, right? He knows who are his, right? But uh, as you think about, uh, we looked at Abraham last week and Abraham and the, the other patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you realize all the Jews, Israel, came from these three men in, in one family, right? And th- this amazing thing, and it's still going on today, that there are those who are, um, you know, by connection to Abraham, they are part of the family of Abraham. And so you say, oh, that's Israel, that's Israel. And so they're God's people, and so they will be saved. And I want to tell you, no, they won't. No, they won't. I won't say they won't be, but they, the idea here is this. It's a remnant. It's a smaller group. He, he places in here, and he takes from the book of Isaiah, he says uh, that they are, that they are, these people, the sons of Israel, be like the sand of the sea. Tell me about the sand of the sea. What he's saying there, it can't be numbered. It can't be numbered. Um, You know, some of you have probably tried. You know, you had a really boring day and you grew up by the ocean and you go, oh, I'm going to count. And you gave up. Because, uh, you you know, it's hard to do. They're small and it's it's vast and it it can't be numbered. And that's the picture of what has gone on from Abraham that there are like the sands of the sea, the sands of the sea. But not all of them will be saved. Not all of them will be brought into God's family. Not all of them will be right with God. Verse 28, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And then it goes on, he shares another part of Isaiah, and he says, and as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would be like Sodom and, Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Why? Tell me about Sodom and Gomorrah. And you go, oh, I don't know if I want to say. What happened to them? What was the, the end result? God's judgment came and they were wiped out. They were wiped out. Why? Because they were good? No. Because they were bad. And what did God bring about? His justice. His justice. Was God right to do that? Is it part of his character to do that? Yes. Yes. And, and as we look at this, uh, what he's saying is this. What is right for the Jews? It would be that they would be wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. What is right for the Gentiles? That they would be wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. Or like L.A. and San Francisco. Just wanted to bring it a little closer to home. You know, we were part of the, if, if California is the promised land, that's, we would be Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You know, that, that's part of, you know, right there. Anyways, um, I, I want you to get this picture here is that uh, what he's saying again is what? That none are righteous on their own, that God brings about mercy both to the Jew and to the Gentile. I want you to get this. This is very important. And it's not that we would totally understand it. 
Uh, I made the crack last week about electricity. And uh, even as I acknowledged that I don't know very much, but I, I, I challenged that others don't know either. There were even some at Bear Valley Church who goes, no, I understand it. I understand how electricity works. It, you know, if you get it close enough, it jumps, right? <laughs> I don't know. Why does it jump? Because it wants to. I don't know. Um, but this idea that we would understand the mind of God, we get a small picture of this is what he is doing. A, a small understanding, a clear understanding, yet we don't have all the details. You, you, what you see here, um, and, and some have said it like this, and I think maybe it's helpful for us to say, uh, an inclusion of the Gentiles in salvation, an inclusion, they, they were not God's people, but God made him just as he took Gomer, uh, Hosea took Gomer, the dirty wife, he, he brought her in when she wasn't a part. And then he says of uh, of. Uh, Israel, he says, you're like the sand of the sea. It's the, there's this idea that God has made you great, but now you, you know, there's just a remnant. You see the inclusion of the Gentiles and the exclusion of all but the remnant of the Jews. And so there's these two groups, these ones, these two people groups, these, these two different people, you can even say. The huge number, but only the remnant will be saved. And as uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, so did the Jews, so do the Gentiles deserve destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, like Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want to tell you, apart from God's mercy, that's what should be happening to all, apart from his mercy. Which brings us to one faith and one cornerstone. Verse 30. Um, And I really think that... uh, Many people, and myself included, have just looked at the idea of the potter and the clay. And they say, oh, I just don't get it. I, I just, where, where are we left in this? But I really think these verses following really help us to know where to go from here. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? <laughs> and, and, and this... You know, what did the Gentiles do? Or how did the Jews live differently than the Gentiles? Well, the Jews, they're all about the law, right? About the law, the Ten Commandments and the other scriptures that uh, God gave them in the five books of Moses. You look at that and that's how they identified who they are. Um, But what does it say in verse 30? It says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. So the Gentiles didn't care about the law. Have attained it. uh, That is a righteousness that is by faith. A righteousness that is by faith. Let's come back to that. But uh, I want to read on because it's going to show the other side too. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So what you have here is two different ways of living. You have the Gentiles who lived however they wanted to. They lived however they wanted to. They lived in sin, 
but not uh, pursuing God, but not pursuing God or not pursuing his law, I should say. And then you have the Jews. How did they? Well, they said, we have the law. This is what we're going to do. We are going to, in our works, obey the law, every one of them, and be great and great in the eyes of God. I want to tell you that both of these, these ones who are saved, these ones that know God, the part of the remnant, uh, those Gentiles who had no place, what is the key ingredient? It's by faith. You see, on one hand, the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, but somehow attained it. How did they attain it? By trusting or having faith, I would say this, in Jesus, in Jesus. Verse 31, and that Israel that who pursued the law, they tried to be good enough, and that if they could obey the law, it would lead to righteousness. They did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they couldn't do it. Sinful people cannot be righteous. They can try hard. They can make a few good efforts. But in the end, they still are left wanting in the eyes of God. They did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Verse 32 because they did not pursue it by faith. And so you see the same answer of what brings someone to be right with God is by faith. And faith in who? Faith in Jesus. It says in the end of verse 32, it says they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now last week, I think it was last week or the week before, I, I, we've been ending up with these last verses. And I said quickly that uh, this idea of election or the calling of God is the stumbling block. That's not right. That's not right. Uh, the stumbling block or the stumbling stone is a person, is a person. If you look down at verse 33, 32 and 33, It says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him, in him, there's a rock. There's a stumbling stone. Who is it? It's Jesus, right? And if you believe in him, this is the thing that has become so fascinating to me as I've been going over this passage is that it all points back to Jesus. And, and as you see this uh, in verse 33, it says this stone that's been laid in Zion, Zion being uh, as the Jews would look to uh, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem itself, or the dwe- and Zion being the dwelling place of God. And not just that it's the dwelling place of God, but it's the refuge of his people. That as they thought about Zion and being in the holy city and being with God and the hill, they they looked at that and they go, that's safety for me. And as they look at safety for them, he says he's laying in Zion this stone. uh, It's a stone in Zion. And so as you think about this rock, Zion, wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't it be something that would be helpful But for rejecters of the gospel, what does it become? 
a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he calls and he refers to the the cornerstone or the chief cornerstone, right? And the Jews, what could they have done? They could have, as they accepted God and uh, his plan and the Messiah that was to come, they could have rejoiced because they could have built a place of safety and uh, security and stability. But instead, in the rejection of, of Christ, what has happened? The very one that should have been safety and security for them has become the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. But I want to reiterate to you again: they, the Jews, did not attain. Why? Because they didn't do it in faith. They didn't trust in the the stone, the one, the Jesus. I want to remind you that anyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame, verse 33. Uh, Just to get you started for next week, if you look down at chapter 10, you realize that he goes on to talk about, uh, in chapter 10, this idea of believing, uh, of trusting in Christ, and as we go on, to believe in Jesus. I want to give you three things as we tie up our time and before we go into a time of communion. Uh, I realize I've preached this passage already and I'm not going to preach it again next week and some of you say, well, I still have questions. Me too. (laughs) Me too. And and it's hard for me to get all the mind of God into the mind of Kevin. (laughs) It's hard. And as I look at these things, I go, ah, you know, it's hard for me to see how all these things work together. And I say, I'm with you. But for us to be able to say, this is God's word. This is what it says. This is what it says. And I will believe it. And if you want to keep it simple, just think potter and clay. Potter and clay. Which one am I? I'm the clay. The potter has the right over the clay. Three things. Uh, as we conclude our time. First of all, just to remember that God has rights over everything. He has rights over everything. And you say, well, what does that include? Everything. Let me give you some examples. He has rights over your possessions, your cars and houses, your couches, your carpet, right? What happens when your grandkids come over and they, they, this next week as it's going to be wet and muddy and they're going to come into your house and they make a mess of things. I want to tell you that somehow you, you get rid of the grandkids or what? Like, what do you do? Like, hey, this is all part of like, and this is what God is doing. And so you ask the question, potter and clay, God has rights over everything. And if he has rights over small things like possessions, he has rights over larger things too, right? Is your finances, over your marriage, over your kids. He has rights over everything. His rights over everything. Secondly, for us to remember that all, and I'm not talking about all out there, but all of us, including ourselves, deserve justice. Deserve justice. All deserve justice, 
but some have received mercy. If you have received mercy, if you have received mercy from God, undeserved mercy from God, rejoice, be worshipers. And then thirdly, uh, how we receive this is believing by faith. Believing by faith. This is how we come into right relationship with God, is we believe with faith. Now, I want to I I say this clearly. It's not believing in faith. Like, I want to make this real. So, um, I've heard people talk this way, and when they talk about believe, you say, do, do you, uh, have you trusted in Christ? Do you, do you know that you're going to heaven? He says, yes, I believe that I'm going to heaven. I believe. I, I, you know, I, I believe in my belief that I'm going to heaven. I want to tell you, it's not in our faith. It's not in our faith. It's believing in Jesus Christ and that we put our faith in him. It's not putting our faith in the idea that I somehow am good enough. That's what the Jews did, and it says they did not attain it. They did not. What it is, it's us believing in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross. To those who reject it, it's become a stumbling stone. But those who believe in his name, they will never be put to shame. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Ask that you help us sort out in our own minds where we stand with you, that we would be clear, that we would be accurate, that we would see ourselves as you see us, and that we would trust in your son Jesus. We would place our faith in your plan, your only plan, your son Jesus, and that we would be right with you because of what you've done, the work of justification. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.